0: This morning, it is uh, a treat to have uh, Tim Vink, come on up brother, uh, to have Tim Vink who is the uh, Director of Church Multiplication for the Reformed Church in America, I feel really short still, <laughs> yesterday he used me as an illustration, and he told me I had, was it Sissy's Shoes or some, uh, oh, some kind of shoe, sassy Shoes. Um, and uh, he is going to be, today, carrying on with 1 uh, Timothy, and um, uh, it's a blessing to have him here, uh, along with his, his family. So, enjoy. You alright over there? Alright. So, let me pray for my brother as he brings the word. Now, God, uh, your word is powerful, and uh, it doesn't even really need us, but you choose to use your people to communicate your word. So, Lord, speak through Tim. May he be faithful to your word, faithful to your spirit as, as your spirit speaks to him and through him. Lord, uh, And thank you for your word which uh, heals our souls and brings us life and it is good bread to nourish us. We praise Jesus. Amen. Thank you,
1: Paul. Awesome to be at Band of Brothers yesterday and to be uh, here today with you, one of our 270-some worshiping congregations in the RCA, formed Church in America, that really uh, spread all over North America. My job is to steward about 400 new starts in this decade, and uh, we're well on our way since 2003. Missio O'Day is one of the coolest names that I know of for a church, and I uh, love your leader. And uh, we've gotten to know each other over several years. And i uh, prayed for you often, but to be here with any one of our 270-some church plants on a given Sunday morning is a real privilege. So love you. Pray for our planters all the time. Pray for our churches all the time. So, you know, this is like I get Technicolor 3D of, uh, you know, answered prayers right here. You know, look at this. This is beautiful. I'm proud of you and uh, believe in you. And you're doing great work sending out leaders already it sounds like andy and andrea right sending out leaders elder right brandon sent out again making a difference everywhere you go i mean it's it's amazing we're going to talk about leadership in the church and leadership makes a difference a rising tide lifts all the ships and uh, we need leaders to rise high become like jesus and uh, we're going to look at that in this passage it's about elders two elders Uh, Really written to Timothy, but about how to raise up elders in the church here in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 in Fallon. So we're going to come to that text in just a moment. I wanted to just open up with a memory of one of my encounters, one of my early encounters with an elder board, a group of elders, the gathering of a plurality of elders uh, in my home church in Laverne, Minnesota. When I was growing up, about 16 years old, I think I remember the food mom was preparing. I told dad, I said, hey called to go to the elders meeting tonight he was one of the vice presidents the uh, elders of our church and and uh, I want to make profession of my faith in Christ and so as a teenager my older brothers a year ahead of me in school hadn't done it so it was kind of waiting a couple years thinking brother come on man testify that Jesus is Lord but he was taking a different route to that he did later uh, but I kind of jumped out there at the dinner table and heart thumping and then my heart was thumping even more when I got in the room with my pastor at you know, born and baptized in the Reformed Church uh, in Laverne, Minnesota, but, uh, you know, wow, here's the pastor and the elders, and I I need to tell them, testify that I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord, my Savior, and uh, it was a great night, and uh, shortly after, I sent call to ministry, become a pastor and church planter, and, you know, went through college and seminary with that on my track, and uh, God really used that my home church, church plant, actually, I was 10 years old when I was born into it, my dad's a charter member, of that church plan. And so it was a vibrant church. And it sent me out as a leader, and I'm still getting to be a blessing. But uh, it's good. Those elders shepherded me well that night. They asked me a great question. I remember a couple of questions. I remember them asking me a question about the Word of God. You know, one of their questions was, Does the Bible contain the Word of God? Or is the Bible that is the Word of God? And I went, Oh no, I'm not sure I've had, I'm not sure how to answer that right now. You know, I it sounds like it contains the Word of God, but you know i said wait a minute i think i know what you mean and, and and we had the conversation and they wanted me to understand that this thing you know cover to cover 66 books is inspired by the holy spirit every word every line trust it. it's from god god has spoken he's spoken with authority and you can embrace the whole of it don't be picking out parts that you just don't quite understand from your culture it doesn't just contain the word god that you have to sort it out you don't judge the thoughts here on the pages, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, right? Hebrews four twelve. I remember that. From my first encounter with an elder board and they were gracious and they 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 cried. You know, to see a young man you know, <laughs> resting his faith in Christ and I know it made a difference in my dad's heart and it's a joy. So, I mean this is real. This is what God does in churches all over since the beginning, a thousand years ago wise move of God. Paul was planting churches all over in persecuted places all over the Roman Empire. Great church planter. They looked a lot like you guys. Uh, taking risks and courageous moves with the Holy Spirit and and uh, everywhere they went. This is a pretty big theme in Scripture. They had to raise up leadership. Elders. And, uh, other leaders, too. But the leadership was very important in the church. And so we're going to be looking at that today as we uh, talk about it you know actually the RCA has been studying this it's pretty interesting a uh, general synod the largest assembly of all our different churches and elders from all the you know 45 different classes around North America had come together and I actually looked at this last year regarding elders in new church plants because we're in sort of a missional movement and it's not as clear how to raise up elders and train elders when you don't have a, you know, some. you have a strong parent church, right? You did with Peace and, uh, and Frankfurt, but, uh, you know, other churches don't have that, and it's just on the mission field, raising up. So we're looking at the Scriptures, and I've uh, been in some interesting meetings trying to help them see what the Scriptures say, because the Bible's actually full of training and teaching about raising up elders and leadership within the church. Let me say uh, introdu- introduction to the purpose of the passage before we look at 1st Timothy 5, because it's going to take a little bit, I think, to get in and get out uh, from this passage, what God wants us to learn today. The purpose of the passage, I think, for us, uh, when it talks about the role of elders in the church, the role of elders is to protect and provide for the flock of God well, for the sheep, for for the people that Jesus loves, to protect and provide for you well. That's the purpose of the passage. So... Whatever the details are, understand that it's for you. It's for your protection and provision that there would be godly elders that can stand in the gap for you, pray for you, lead well, uh, defend against the spiritual forces of wickedness, uh, the wolves that would come in and try to destroy and divide the flock. It's for your protection and provision, this whole passage and instruction here and in other parts of the New Testament as well. just want to remind you as the image is going to come up, you know, around elder and uh, shepherd of the flock, you know, that that sheep were, weren't just a responsibility of the shepherd, and they weren't just a liability when they would go straying or be, you know, under attack. They weren't just a responsibility or a liability of a shepherd. Understand, you're not just a responsibility or a liability to Jesus. You are an asset. The sheep represented the wealth of the shepherd. The sheep are, you know, this is God's family and you are all assets you are part of the picture of the wealth of the shepherd the good shepherd jesus christ and uh so you know he loves his responsibility but uh you are as much asset as liability at any moment in time supernatural community people born again from above a new humanity brought together under the power of the holy spirit and the word of god you are crazy good for the planet You are so good. The church is so important. God says in other parts of the scriptures that uh, the church is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. God's eyes are on the church. His center of activity is in and through the church, which is the body of his son, Jesus, who is the head. So you're a supernatural community vitally connected to Jesus Christ himself. Let me share one passage outside this context here in 1 Timothy 5 that will introduce it. I need to to preach Christ to you before I preach about elders, all right? I'm going to have to do some, uh, because it it shapes everything, and you've got to know the context. I mean, let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so here's a part of Scripture that interprets this passage. It's not explicit in the passage in 1 Timothy, but it's vital in the whole concept that we're talking about here. And so this is uh, 1 Peter 2.25. Listen to this description of Jesus. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You were sheep going astray, now you've returned to the shepherd and over of your overseer of your souls. Jesus is the shepherd and the superintendent of souls. Uh, we're in a school district here, right? Superintendent overseeing the, what do you say, 1,200 students at this school and uh, probably more than that. Uh, Sometimes there's connected school districts. A superintendent uh, is responsible for the affairs of the whole thing. Jesus alone takes responsibility for the flock. He says, I'm the overseer. I'm the superintendent of souls. In the passage we're going to look at, conviction is that the, the elders need to be shepherds under Jesus and stewards under Jesus of the flock. But Jesus alone is the shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the overseer of souls. Your is acid. You're his flock personally. And then he raises up leaders that act in line with his authority and his will in providing and protecting for the church. So Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of souls, superintendent of souls. All right. Your soul. He's interested in you. Top to bottom, inside and out. Your spirit, soul, and body is his concern. And he takes responsibility for it. He's He's good. He's good. At managing it all taking care of it all down to the details you know, voices that work better at night than you think in a hospital setting right he's the superintendent of your soul now, I'm gonna just remind you one more way that Jesus does this voluntarily Jesus does it willingly and generously you know Peter talks about that a little bit later here when he's speaking to elders as well in first Peter 5 and backgrounds and context to the elders among you i appeal to you as a fellow elder a witness of christ's sufferings and one who also share in the glory to be revealed be shepherds of god's flock that is under your care serving as overseers superintendents stewards not because you must but because you are willing as god wants you to be so the generous voluntary not greedy for money but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So incentive and encouragement to the elder under the chief shepherd and overseer. Jesus does this work voluntarily. Understand, you remember the last healing miracle that Jesus did in his life of ministry on earth, in the three years of his public life and ministry on the power of the Holy Spirit? Remember the last miracle of healing that Jesus does? you think of it. The night before he dies. That's right. You have a hand motion going to the ear. He heals. He reattaches the ear of the high priest's servant. And the high priest is coming with all the soldiers to make sure that they arrest Jesus and take him off to be tortured and killed. And Peter whips out a sword and cuts off Malchus's ear, right? The high priest's servant's ear. And uh, Jesus reattaches it. We talk about a creative miracle, right? Just the power of heaven. The good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says, I'll bring the blessing. Here, let me put that ear back on my enemy's servant. All right, you understand that? But this is what I want you to understand. When Jesus does that miracle, he says something to Peter. Remember what he says to Peter? He says, put away your sword, Peter. Do you not know that I have 12 legions of angels at my disposal right now? You know what Jesus is saying? Legion, Roman Legion, military, warring uh, company, a platoon of leaders. You know how many soldiers were in a legion? 6,000 plus six commanding officers. So 6,006 soldiers in a legion. Get this. Jesus is doing the math for you, saying to Peter, put your lousy sword away. I'll have to put the guy's ear back on. Here we go. Understand that I'm going to voluntarily lay down my life for the sheep and voluntarily take it back up again when I rise again. Understand, this is willingly, generously. I desire to do this. I want to shepherd this kind of people forever. This is my call. This is my work, right? Jesus would say, you do the math. 6,006 times 12 legion. says about 72,000 angels at his disposal. He says, I, can, I, could, I could say the word and the Father would send... The warring angels of heaven. And you know what happened in the Old Testament? In one passage in the Old Testament, one angel of the Lord came out when the people of God were surrounded. One angel of the Lord came out and struck down, I think it was the Midianites. 175,000 soldiers died at the hand of one angel. You understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying to Peter, listen, I have angels. One angel could wipe out 175,000 humans at least. It's happened before. I could call 72,000. He's basically saying, you can do the math later if you want, 72,000 times 175,000. He's saying I can wipe out the known population of the earth right now. I could kill them all. Or I could be the shepherd and overseer of their souls. And I choose that. And I lay down my life. You understand? Jesus lays down his life. He could have called 72,000 angels when he took the first blow from the whip. You know, I have one of those cat-o'-nine-tails. It's got a big, thick oak branch on about three feet long and nine leather straps with lead embedded in it with bone and 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 uh, nails and such. You know, one lash with a Roman soldier on the back. It does a laceration about 40-some different holes. Math lesson, all right? How many times? 40 times 40 About 1,600, 1,500 lacerations, tears, broken. Jesus would have looked like him by the time they were done with him. you understand? It was supposed to kill It would kill most people. Jesus could have called after the first flash, the second, the third, the fourth. He could have called 72,000 angels and said, enough of this. But Jesus is saying, no, I want to be the shepherd and overseer of the souls of the human race. Bring them all to me. Let's talk about elders that serve under that kind of shepherd and overseer, right? They get their cue and they get their character and they get their competency from that Jesus. I'm going to read the passage and I'm going to lay it out to you in four parts. If you haven't had the opportunity to study this as much as I did, so I'm going to just try to keep it clear and uh, pull out high points that really come from across the New Testament as well. Scripture interpreting Scripture. 1 Timothy 5.17 To the elders who direct the affairs of the church well. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is spreading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality, to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Do not share in the sins of others keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. Here's the theme that would come out of this passage and the connectivity to the other passages about elders like I just read in 1 Peter 5 and so on. Every elder should be a steward and a shepherd of redeemed souls. Every elder should be a steward and a shepherd of redeemed souls, born again from above, full of the Holy Spirit, people. Every elder should be a steward and a shepherd of redeemed souls because of the four characteristics of the flock of God. Because of the shape and the dimensions of the people that Jesus has saved given four dimensions to that from this passage. We're going to break out four uh, parts to it in order and uh, try to bring out one key thought that really illustrates something about Jesus' character and therefore the character of an elder, an under-shepherd, and an under-overseer, you know, under the overseer and shepherd of your soul. So we're going to talk about this. uh, Every elder should be a steward and shepherd of the redeemed souls because of the four walls on the sheep pen, all right? So I'm going to use that illustration, that metaphor, since we're talking about the flock of God. And I'm going to try to illustrate this over here. And uh, four walls. Got a front wall. A back wall. And two side walls. is going to be sort of our outline from the text verse 17 starts with the front wall kind of concept and uh, I'm going to make sure we stay connected to Jesus as we walk through this because elders don't do anything except under the king and head of his church right so uh, Jesus is and I'm going to use this picture the front wall of a sheep pen, these four characteristics, the four sides of the flock of God that need to be covered and protected. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way in. No one comes to the Father except through Him. He's the front wall of the church. Nobody comes into Missio Dei as an ecclesia of Jesus, as the church of God in this city Mokina without coming through the gate, without coming through Christ. The back wall reminds us that Jesus is the judge. And uh, sidewall, first we come to in the passage is, is going to deal with competency. And uh, so I'm going to say that Jesus is the baptizer. And I think that'll make more sense in a little bit. And uh, the other sidewall on the flock of God, the sheep pen, keeping you safe, providing for you, uh, Jesus is the, uh, is the sanctifier. All right? And that means he's the one that grows us into his likeness, our character, is shaped. So this has to do with competency. This has to do with character in the passage, godly character. Um, this has to do with accountability. And this has to do with, what's my other A word again? Authority. Jesus is the gate. Alright, use that. Can you see that alright? We'll use that as a bit of a guide for our uh, study of this passage in the next few moments. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is in preaching and teaching. So, Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the one who uh, creates the church out of his very own life and love and elders who rule well are worthy of double honor especially those who preach and teach and the double honor in this passage is is uh interpreted by the next verse in uh, verse 18 uh has a lot to do with the old testament and the new testament teaching of jesus there one from leviticus, leviticus one from luke do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages so it is talking about financial uh, blessing and provision and uh, we can talk about that in a little bit what is the role of the church and uh, your part in relationship to elders and leaders in the church and then what are the 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 blessings and honor of the elders themselves uh, Nathan is here as one of our elders Uh, Brandon is leaving. But uh, certainly has high relevance to that relationship to all of you. I want you to keep think about that, but uh, also for others of you that God would call to be raised up as leaders in the flock of God here under Jesus. So it's interesting uh, these two Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament quote and the Luke 10 quote. There, uh, I think uh, Pastor Paul also fits into this category as a shepherd and overseer in the flock, and so I think the scripture just called your pastor an ox, right? Look at that. Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. Do not hinder uh, a person from sharing in the uh, blessing and the reward of the work, and uh, for the worker deserves his wages, right? So there's, there's compassion for the animal, the ox that's treading out the grain, supplying strength for the work. It also, the nourishment provides the work to be continued, to be strengthened more. And, uh... And worthy, the work, the worker is worthy of his wages. Is, is talking about how God watches that people get what they're owed. That God watches that for the poor, and uh, abusing workers and not paying them their daily wage so their family would go hungry that day. Is something God watches. And so, this is uh, honor and wages that are owed, and uh, they share in the fruit of the work. And there's credit that is due uh, to those leaders. And so. In the text, it appears that uh, in the New Testament, uh, there were those that were directing the affairs of the church well, um, especially those whose work was preaching and teaching, that they would receive compensation as well, because they are building up the flock of God. And uh, if they did the work well, they were worthy of double honor. And, uh, that's uh, it's important. Uh, we're talking about uh, the, the church of Jesus Christ, and uh, the ecclesia is the word there. Um, church. Ekklesia is a word that Jesus borrowed twice in the Gospels, and it it really comes out of the Greek uh, city-state culture of its day. And uh, what you might want to remember about the Ekklesia, when Jesus says, I will build my Ekklesia in Matthew uh, 16, uh, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's talking about building a new community that would shape the cities of the nations, wherever he would send his church, wherever it would birth out, even one, two, three, four people, that would be the ecclesia of God. And the ecclesia in a Greek city-state was the gathering, the assembly of the 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 citizens, the free-born citizens of that Greek city-state, would assemble themselves, and they were called the ecclesia. When they came together, what they did was direct the welfare and the they would set the welfare in the direction of the city. The whole city would be blessed when the ecclesia would gather, and they would learn together and lead together. And and there were a lot more merchants and visitors and slaves and you know even others that were protected. Uh, you know, I'm sure homeless, but you know women and children that were all part of that. But the ecclesia would come together and set the affairs of the city in motion. And so when Jesus is saying, "I will build my church," and he plants one right here in Mokina. He wants you, when you gather week after week, you assemble under Jesus, the shepherd and overseer of your souls, He wants you to shape the welfare and the direction of the entire city. It's supernatural. He's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the one that's holding all things together, and He works through the church. Remember, the world is peripheral to the church. He's working through you. And when He assembles the ecclesia, He is intending to shape the welfare and the direction of the whole city. And uh, you're a part of something supernatural and significant on the planet when you're a part of the local church and uh, a member of the body of Christ. And again, that's where the leadership becomes so important for the the direction of that. It's not that every member is a part of the ecclesia, speaks to that, shapes the direction of welfare of the whole city, but the uh, there is a role for specific leaders that help lead the ecclesia, help protect and provide for its uh, well functioning and uh, so that's part of what's going on here uh, in the passage and so uh, the first point is uh, the authority of the leaders of the ecclesia comes from Jesus himself the one who's building his church nobody comes into the church except through Christ who is the gate that's the front wall on the sheepfold here Uh, elders who exercise authority under Jesus authority and do it well, direct the, fair, the affairs of the church well, especially preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor. God is watching whether there is proper due and credit and support uh, for them. Um, they are as ones who give an account to Christ. Remember, I read that in 1 Peter 5. And uh, just say it again. Um, yeah, with ones who must give an account to the Lord and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away Um, let's talk about the back wall of the church the ecclesia of the flock of God the fact is according to the gospel there's one man appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead which includes elders especially in the church that is that Jesus is the judge of all the living and the dead And the passage then speaks about accountability. So this comes at sort of the end of time, but that all elders and all members of his ecclesia will give an account to him and all people in the entire community, which is part of the gospel. which needs to be spread to the nations. There's not a single man, woman, or child in this entire region, the globe, for instance, that won't give an account to Jesus. All right, all will give an account to Jesus. So that's part of getting the gospel to them, giving them fair opportunity to come to him as the shepherd and overseer of their souls. The back wall of the flock of God, the shape of this, uh, these characteristics of the sheep pen is uh, this accountability. And so there's accountability, public accountability for the equipping leaders here in the text. And we read a bit of that. Um, Do not enter- entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin, and the context in most uh, versions and translations, and in the Greek text, those who, those elders who sin, we're talking about elders. Those elders who sin are to be rebuked publicly, so that others may take warning. One of the roles of the elders is to actually rebuke privately if, uh, if if someone in the flock is sinned, but elders who would persist in sinning uh, in a biblical sin, not just any you know kind of thing, but an actual biblically listed sin, would be rebuked publicly a warning to the others, right? And that the flock has a role in that as well. Um, and uh, it goes on to say I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality. Do nothing out of favoritism. Don't show bias in that. Don't say because this elder is my best friend, I won't bring them. Paul is saying this to Timothy. You have to be willing to publicly rebuke even your best friend and your most trusted partner in an ecclesia publicly if they sin. All right, so that's part of the public accountability because Jesus is the judge. It's part of the back wall on the flock here. And uh, let me just say this, again, matters how the church functions and uh, how leadership leads under Christ. They don't represent uh, people as much as they represent Christ and the will of Christ in shaping the welfare of the whole city. So uh, just this week, for example, you know, I'm— I'm an equipping leader in the church, one of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teachers, you know, for the sake of the whole church, the whole of the RCA now, around church planting. But, uh, you know, we had a situation where we are planting churches in Florida, and uh, <clears throat> basically an accusation came back out of last week's experience. Now, we've been laboring hard, I mean, 75 hours, you know, to train and equip and send and hire these next group of planters. and and it's pioneering work, and it's risky business, and it hasn't worked well in Florida before. And so we had a whole new team of leaders, uh, nine of us called the New Wave Network, that were really trying to shape that up. And, and out of that experience, there was a con- conflict that arose uh, with, with an African-American uh, perspective that felt that there was uh, bias and uh, you know um, mistreatment of one of our candidates that was uh, African-American. And uh, the problem was, it, it wasn't true. And uh, what was written in the email and sent to other people besides me was uh, was an accusation that was pretty painful for me. So, I mean, personally, this week, I experienced what it's like to be a leader and uh, how much it slows me down, how much it wakes me up in the middle of the night like last night at 2 a.m., how many emails and how many conversations and phone calls we've had to do to try to contain one accusation that was brought that, that wasn't, wasn't accurate. And, uh, person themselves, the African-American leader in California, absolutely disagreed with it, so that's not true in writing, but still another person was trying to take up the cause and saw it as perceived injustice and went after it. So, you know, I'll say this to the flock, you know, do not, you know, do not entertain an accusation and, 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 Timothy or the leader equipping leaders of this church don't entertain an accusation against another unless it's brought by two or three witnesses this was Jesus himself had trouble with this at his trial right the witnesses were saying one thing saying another thing they couldn't get their witness you know testimony to agree uh, so Jesus ultimately didn't get condemned because of other false witnesses it was his own testimony of who he was that uh, the leaders rejected and uh, all the blasphemy and sentenced him to death so, don't entertain the accusation against Anello. You need to have two or three witnesses of a biblical sin before you start grumbling, complaining, and undermining a leader. Or otherwise, you're going to slow down the welfare of this this body of believers and its impact, its mission impact on the world. And uh, it, it makes it a burden. A passage in Hebrews uh, 13 that speaks to that as well. And uh, I'm just going to page over there, Hebrews 13:17. James Hebrews 13 17 says this obey your leaders and submit to their authority they keep watch over you as men who must give an account obey them so that their work will be a joy not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you so I kind of got burdened you know this week and it took you know, hit me when I'm tired when I worked hard and it was it was a waste of effort there was no truth in it and they should have not listened the accusation of one person who wasn't even in Florida when 10 people in Florida said exactly the opposite. But, you know, gossip, you know, smearing, you know how that works, right? we got to be careful with that. And, uh, that's part of our role together. Sidewall, uh, number one, uh, on the flock of God, these characteristics of God, that every elder should be a steward under Jesus and a shepherd under Jesus of redeemed souls because of these four characteristics. There's authority in the leaders. There's accountability uh, in the leaders, both currently and in public and in the future before Jesus, the scriptures teach. And uh, let's look at this competency sidewall that Jesus is the baptizer. And uh, again, I can't say everything I want to in in our time now, but uh, here's what's going on. Jesus is the baptizer. He was described as that by uh, John the Baptist in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Acts, Acts 1, he describes himself that way. You've heard it said that... John would baptize with water, I will come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's one of Jesus' ongoing ministries to this very hour that he continues to saturate, immerse, fill you with the Holy Spirit to give you the third person of the Trinity who's just like Jesus so you have all the courage and wisdom and love of God in you so you can take God everywhere and make a difference in the world. It's multiplying the presence of Jesus, right? Jesus is the baptizer, and so this issue of competency is what comes from jesus doing his work of imparting blessing to you so verse 22 says don't be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others keep yourself pure so the idea of laying on of hands was a lot bigger deal in some you know in the old old testament and the new testament than it is in some of our churches today it's a huge part of ministry so you have instruction like we're doing now you have imitation or modeling ministry to others, setting an example, which is talked about in 1 Peter 5, for the elders to set an example to the flock, willingly, generously, not lording it over them. And there's impartation, okay? Instruction, imitation, impartation, three strong ways that ministry goes forward. A lot of our churches are better at imitation than they are at instruction, or instruction than they are at imitation. Most of our churches struggle at impartation. And impartation is about a very common ministry that Jesus did, and you can see it in Luke uh, chapter 4. Let's see. Where's my verse at? Luke 4. Verse 40. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Laying his hands on each one. When he healed them, he imparted the power and help of heaven. The Father's will got done as he laid his hands on people, and the d- diseases left, and healing happened. Impartation was a huge part of Jesus' ministry. Instruction uh, was a huge part of Jesus' ministry, and imita- imitation was the example that he set for his followers. But impartation was very strong. So competency comes through the blessing. In the Old Testament, you see the laying on of hands, imparting blessing the new testament and jesus in particular see the laying on of hands and, and imparting healing and power and rescue and help and deliverance and uh and then we see a ton of it around this issue of imparting spiritual gifts and imparting competency through the power of the holy spirit the baptism of the holy spirit there's a lot of this around act six the laying on, on of hands for the six that were or the seven that were sent out new leaders that were selected there Chapter eight, the apostles show up and lay their hands on all the people in Samaria who are getting baptized, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, chapter thirteen, the apostles or the prophets and teachers there in Antioch are set apart, and they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and send them out, and they begin an apostolic church planting mission. Impartation was a significant part of the competency and and ability of people to actually carry forward the work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that was being imparted. So. Right here in 1 Timothy, if you just page over to verse 4, just look at a couple verses here. 1 Timothy 4:14. 4, as Paul is speaking to Timothy and reminding him of these things, which is in the context of these chapters that we're looking at, Paul says to Timothy, Do not neglect your gift which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So the elders gathered, laid their hands on Timothy, and a prophetic gift. Uh, prophetic message was given and a spiritual gift was imparted to Timothy which is part of his competency and we see it again in 2nd Timothy as well uh, verse, chapter 1 verse 6 2nd Timothy 1 6 Paul also says to Timothy for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands and so impartation ministry was significant in the competency ability Jesus the baptizer the power of the Holy Spirit imparting gifts blessing people this is part of the work in laying out of hands of elders so that their competency their gifting is high and they work in the power of the Holy Spirit in their their work of leadership in the church finally uh, we get to this passage never mind the parenthetical comments about drinking a little wine I think it's a sidebar to Timothy it shows something of personal care and love I mean it's also in the word of god for but it doesn't help us so much in our study of elders right now Um, verse 24 the sins of some men are obvious reaching the place of judgment ahead of them the sins of others trail behind them In the same way good deeds are obvious even those that are not cannot be hidden so dealing with the character issue you can have all the competency in the world and i've seen this most of the time when church planters don't make it in the first three years of their church plan it's not because of competency it's because of character Eighty-some percent of the time, it's a character flaw. It's a sin issue that doesn't get addressed well biblically by them. And they don't confess it. They don't get it healed in the church. It grows, and it can blow up the church, right? Same with elders. It uh, happens uh, in powerful ways when a church is more fragile. The enemy makes a, an attack in that way. So the character-testedness of a leader was important early church even choosing the seven in acts chapter six said choose those known to be full of the holy spirit people who are reliably predictably consistently full of the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit they walk with the spirit of god people that are tested and known by their character and that's part of jesus work to grow our character and those that yield to jesus well daily can grow rapidly into the likeness of jesus in character those people should be looked at to be candidates to be laid hands upon and direct the affairs of the church well. That's kind of the end of the passage. And so let me summarize for you uh, with our work today. Here is the uh, three major benefits for elders, right? Uh, They receive honor, even double honor, pay in this life. Uh, That is one benefit for elders spoken of in the passage. Second is that there is meaningful work of great impact, of great importance. They get to be a part of directing the affairs of the ecclesia, which is the heart of God for a city. And you get to be part of leadership in that way. It's, it's meaningful, significant work to be called to be an elder, uh, an overseer. Those words are used rather interchangeably in the early uh, New Testament writings. And third, an elder receives reward in the age to come, a crown of glory that will never fade away. That's First Peter 5. It's a noble task to aspire to be an overseer. And, uh, those that are, give them honor, respect them, obey them, submit to them, don't bring accusations against them unless you've got two or three witnesses with a clear biblical sin involved. Let them work. Let them lead so that the church prospers and goes forward. And the benefits and the role of the church uh, in this is to respect and give honor and it's a blessing to be able to give honor to honorable people and so giving honor and showing that respect to the role of the church of the body of christ uh, the church uh, pays in giving double honor and uh, meeting the needs of those who are serving especially in the work of preaching and teaching uh, according to the text and uh, giving double honor to those who do well uh, the benefit for the church and the role is to receive sound preaching and teaching and leadership benefits. Uh, uh, follow the example, not the control. Uh, you know, they're not lording it over you. They are setting an example, but they serve as those who must give an account, shepherds of your souls under the great shepherd and overseer of your souls. So uh, you receive sound preaching and teaching because of good leadership in the church, uh, the equipping leaders and the elder leadership together in that role. Uh, the leadership benefits of a healthy uh, vital church is huge not only for you but for your whole community uh, you support without gossip or resistance to their leadership as a role of the church and uh, you participate in the public accountability when a charge is proved when there's a biblical issue that needs to be confronted the whole body gets involved in making sure that that is brought uh, out and settled just remind you again that Jesus willingly and voluntarily took up this role to be the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And not only yours. He's willing to go to the edges of humanity anybody and become their shepherd and overseer of their soul and put them in a flock like this and give you all the shapes and dimensions of his characteristics at work and leadership that walks under Jesus. It's a powerful thing. It's a supernatural thing to be part of. Now let me put Lord, bless your people. Thank you for them, and thank you for what you are doing here at Missio Dei. You are on a mission guide for the whole world. And we bless you. Thank you for your word and your instruction, and we pray that you will guide us in our work and our ministry now as we uh, come around your table and receive your grace, shepherd and overseer, superintendent of our school.